It's pretty. Pre-Raphaelite, they call it. With the curls. Nothing but that, motherfucker. You are listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Today we are talking about the second episode of season four, No Show, written by Terrence Winter and David Chase, directed by John Patterson. Uh, original air date was September 22nd, 2002. HBO synopsis. With Polly in jail, Christopher becomes acting capo, but he gets off to a bad start with Patsy. Still troubled by Jackie Jr.'s death, Meadow contemplates taking a year off from college to travel. Meanwhile, Adriana is in a bind after ending her friendship with Danielle, and Silvio discusses a misunderstanding at a Newark riverfront construction site. Was it a misunderstanding, though, John? Hmm, that's to be determined. A little posturing. The title, No Show. We have been no-shows for the past several weeks. <laughs> Glad to be back with you, as always. Uh, the title is a classic mob scheme, right? Correct. The best way to encapsulate it in a nutshell, if you will? Yeah. Fake jobs or titular jobs that get buried in line items on construction budgets. I learned about this from The Sopranos. Naya, this goes back to the very beginning of The Sopranos always teaches you something. They do. Right? Also, it is perhaps a metaphor for some no-shows in this episode. We shall see. Let's jump right in. Danielle is at home. The blur to convey the passage of time made me think about music videos where this happens. Yeah. Made me think about movies where this happens. It can go one of two ways, right? It can go horribly wrong or it can work. I think it worked in this case. Talk of day spa certificates with aid. The point of that is the subtlety. Every detail is shaped like a piece of clay. The pottery wheel is always spinning. Why? Because we go from spa talk to Meadows flip-flops. Totally. The conveyance of an imminent cringeworthy parent-child encounter. How many of those have you had? Too many. How many of those have you had in your 30s, though? Too, ma- too many. <laughs> Still. <laughs> Meadow got a car so she could drive to an internship, but she never did the internship. That was a trivia question. I'm just putting that out there on the table for people that haven't listened to it yet. She blames grades on her ex-boyfriend dying. Um, She mentions the canon, which is obviously a little bit of a nerd opportunity here. The writings of the dead white males, who even with their reductionism, have quite interesting things to say about death and loss. Go Carm moment of the episode. Is Mary Higgins Clark a part of that group? Because that's what I saw you reading every time I passed by the pool. Burn. First off, reductionism is defined as the practice of analyzing and describing complex phenomenon in terms of simpler phenomena. The classic phrase, it all boils down to. That's reductionism. Which is interesting Because part of what this pod is seeking to do is determine, is it all a big nothing? (laughs) Or is it something else? And I feel like I'm beginning to slowly unearth the answer to that a little bit, I think. I had one note about the beginning uh, scene uh, with uh, Danielle and Adriana. Mm. And I try to wonder if it's always gratuitous to have them half naked. But I, I thought more about um, this uh, symbolism of bearing it all, there's trust, and that's exemplifying like their relationship at this level, that she's the undercover FBI agent's really infiltrated and has this relationship. Oh, that's interesting. The FBI agent is revealed, kind of, right. literally. Huh. I also saw it, I read what Autopsy said about it, which is this, the two women that would sort of circle Christopher and end this FBI plot. Right. The canon, the Western canon, that is, is a body, quickly, it's a body of high culture in the realms of literature, music, philosophy, and of course, art. Canon literally means measuring rod, which effectively places the Sopranos in the Western canon, as far as I'm concerned, because it is a measuring rod, if nothing else, for every single piece of... (laughs) visual adult entertainment that we've watched since. Agreed. 
Uh, the Western canon can be a whole podcast by itself, but real quickly with respect to literature, here's a who's who's list of books in the canon that Meadow was referring to. The Odyssey, The Iliad, Don Quixote, Canterbury Tales, Great Gatsby, Oedipus Rex, Divine Comedy, The Republic, Hamlet, Frankenstein, Crime and Punishment, Beowulf, 1984, Moby Dick, Metamorphosis, Notably, Mary Higgins Clark is missing from the list. Although she has had a prolific and brilliant run as a writer, publishing over 50 novels with many millions of copies sold. Okay, Meadow's friend. Misty. Misty. There's some guy in your driveway with a ponytail. First of two conversations about the ponytail. I know, I was just looking up men in ponytails. There's not much on it. Who gets away with it? (laughs) I don't know. There's a negative connotation. I've dated three guys with ponytails. So you're into it. I'm into it. It depends what they what they. Well, man buns were a do, thing though. last year. Man they? buns are different. Yeah. Man buns are okay. That's just a tucked ponytail. Man buns are not okay. Man, a ponytail's were... okay. No. Or like a half up little like. If I had like <laughs> no infinite confidence <laughs> and I had a choice between the two, I would do the man bun. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Like a little ballet bun. Yeah, no, not no. That's not that's that's, that's not like acceptable. A biscuit on the head. No, the yeah. thing that you the, the Zlatan Ibrahimovic look is acceptable. That, that one's cool. And the David when David Beckham had one. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. could do that. I yeah. think all guys could do that. Yeah, you could, but you have to be at the top of your game and whatever yep. your field of choices. Mm-hmm. You got to be level. the king. Yeah. You can't be some schmuck walking around with a man bun. That's the problem. That okay? You can look really unprofessional or yeah. like really cool. No, you can't put the ATM card on the table. <laughs> you got to have the black Amex <laughs> if you're going to do anything of that nature. Okay, friend comes. There's some guy in your driveway with a ponytail. What's his story? Cut to Carm. Hi, Mrs. Soap, Mm. says Misty, whilst we experience Carm in her own little soap opera, right? I liked that. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but it's too obvious to not say it. Misty, where does she come from? (laughs) And where's her series? She's trash. That's why Carmela doesn't like her. Cut to the awkward doorway threshold encounter between Carmela and Furio. Felt like an eternity, but it was actually a few seconds. So do you guys think, because when I watch this, I go back and forth with, are we sure he's into Carmela all the way? Or are we now building it up in our heads and reading into things? Because we know that she's into him. This scene? Yeah. Shows it. Okay. The face. Yeah. That was what, it was too obvious for him. He didn't wear his... He didn't. He wore it on his sleeve a little too much. I thought. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's fully made the decision, but he's definitely uh, liking her a lot. Because she's liking him, though. You right. know, he's also the boss. She's also the boss's wife. She, he, she's the only one talking to him, feeding him. It's a very similar phenomenon that we all experience as well. When you see like someone at the office, or you see the same person every day, even if they're not the most attractive or the ideal person that you would want to be with. It's the repetition that makes them attractive. You're forced to like them. Right. You find you, you see will love the me, traits. Vic. You see yeah. the traits and the and like the things that are in people, and that's that's kind of what it is for him. He's just kind of this is the woman that he's exposed to on a daily basis. But it's true. There's there's depth to his character that we can't talk about yet, obviously. But right now, I feel like he fell for her. Yeah. At that moment. Cut to the crew dinner. Harry Potter books. Goldmine, we learned from Ray Curdo. This got me curious. What are the economics of Harry Potter? The economics of wizardry, John. Or whatever the fuck. Okay? John, this one's for you. Here are some stats that may be interesting, because look, you're in, you're in uh, the- I'm in the wrong industry, You're in the media business. You're an artist, and J.K. Rowling is an artist. She's an author. Here, just check out these economics, okay? Stats are fun, because it, it, it allows me to bring in the NBA, too. The seven books, there are seven of them, they have sold more than 500 million copies worldwide. Think about selling 500 million albums. not possible. As of 2018, my wife and I just bought the series and the illustrated hardbacks that you can read to small children. So we bought 14 copies of the story because we bought the paperback and we bought the illustrated hardback so add some more to that purse right there the eight movies based on the books grossed 7.7 billion worldwide there's two spin-off movies and they've done 1.4 billion worldwide the licensing and merch 
another interest, point of yeah. interest, weighs in at a beefy $7.3 billion. And finally, there is talk of a Harry Potter Broadway musical. And even if you just take a healthy fraction of Hamilton, okay? Take, a, take 10% of Hamilton, which you know it's going to be much closer to 60-70% of Hamilton, if not more. That's a multi-billion dollar opportunity right there. All this from a woman who was living in her car, like Jewel, while writing her book. There's also fucking amusement parks. Harry Potter World. All of which is to say, Ray Curdo, you should have been a media market speculator. Your career might have been much more fruitful and fulfilling. It's Ray Curdo, of course, who tells us that Harry Potter is the business to be in. Okay, Ginny Sack jokes. Mm. She's getting a 95-pound mole taken off her ass. Tony cuts dinner short. He has to go. Part of me always wondered if he didn't want to be caught in that crossfire. One of the reasons why he's saying that, oh, you know, I don't want this to get back to Johnny, that I was here. Yeah, I think it's uh, insulating him. Yeah. He's not directly talking about it, so he's not around to hear it. Therefore, he's not culpable for the crime. There's whispers to Silvio to talk to Patsy. Mysterious. So, Pasqualini, Silvio says. I understand we have some business to discuss. Two no-shows, three no-works. Are we all good on what no-shows and no-works are? What are no-works? So, no-works are when you have to show up, mm-hmm. but you don't do shit. You sit around, and you listen to Pada Bing. No-show is you get paid, and you don't have to show up. Right. This uh, no-work almost becomes a separate character in this show. The whole idea is to skim, it's a way to skim the system. And the reason the guys are fighting over it, because different crews want to get the jobs because it's income that's going to kick up to Pauly. Got it. That's why he's like, I got screwed on this with Ralph. I want you to make it up for me on the no-shows. That's their, it's currency because it's ultimately money that's going to go into their bank account. So mm. do, if you get one of those no-work jobs, are you specifically getting the money? I also thought it might be a good uh, tax evasion sort of thing. If you're making all this money under the table and your illicit dealings, that this is your legitimate W-2. So there's a couple of things going on, right? The assumption is that they, the, the construction company that has hired them is in on it. It knows that, and they have a line item where they're basically burying the funds, but I think they're double dipping. I think the I think the construction company is aware of what's happening to an extent, but then the guys are actually taking even more out of it, and it, but it's never made clear. I right. think that they know, I know Mazarone kind of knows that stuff is going on, but they're taking it to the next level. I agree with that. And it's definitely money. So the, if the soldiers, the little Paulies, the Donny K's of the show, they're getting paid to be at those jobs. Let's say they make a hundred bucks. They got to give... 30 of those bucks to the capo. Hmm. And then the capo's got to kick 10 up to Tony. So every no-show and no-work job is income, and the captains are all going to get their taste. It's a tax. It's a tax. There you go. It's exactly a tax. It's pretty ballsy to hustle the hustle, though. I love the way you said that. That's what they're doing. Yeah. They're hustling the hustle. Yeah. And they make no fucking bones about it. Yeah. Tony, this episode, we're doing a doubleheader today, so we're going to mind meld between both episodes. Johnny Sack. And Little Carmine are expecting a taste of Freeling Heisen Avenue, right? I might be blurring them now, too. Is Patsy baiting Christopher? A little bit. Do you think he knows that this is going to get him in trouble and Christopher's naive to not really say no because he thinks of it as like an opportunity? I think that really was just a look and maybe some miscommunication. At the higher level, I think Sill was trying to even out his Making Patsy's, power line yeah. because he understands Polly's gone. Chris is a capo now, and Patsy feels slighted. How can he keep both of those people happy and still get some taste for that, too? Got it. But I had a deeper conspiracy. Remember when uh, Christopher gets the book and sort of messes up and loses some money, and I had the idea that Tony wanted that to happen, and mm-hmm. he invested some money the other way on that game? I'm thinking maybe Tony was allowing this to happen so he can get some money on the side, too. Because... He sort of scolds Sill, but then goes, well, I'm ready for my taste. So he still has no scruples about it being legit as long as he's getting a taste of it. I think he doesn't want to get caught. He keeps on saying it's a multi-million, quarter-billion-dollar project. He doesn't want it to get 
dismantled. But if someone is getting paid and he's not, he's definitely going to take his piece. It's cash, right? There's no tracing of the funds. Um, I think that Patsy is taking advantage of him. Patsy's old school. Chris is new school. It plays into this new notion that we learn here. Per Silvio, Chrissy is acting capo of Polly's crew while Polly's in the can. That's a body blow of uninterpretable consequences. We, because we obviously know Patsy's not happy about it. But we learn, and we're going to figure this out as the episode progresses and next episode too, that Silvio's also not happy by this. Even though he gives the decree, it's an order from Tony, but Silvio's different towards Christopher. We'll look at it in a second. But it's a fountain of storylines and plot twists just in that, that Christopher is the acting capo while Polly's in jail. Um, the first thing Chris is going to do is get wings in his hair, you know, like Polly. Why did Silvio balk at that? I may add to your thought of Silvio not really being happy with the decision or that he doesn't take the position serious as it is. It's not because he's tight with Polly, though, right? Because up until this point, Polly and Silvio have kind of been their own little yeah. polar bodies. Right? I think it's more just he hasn't paid his dues. He's moving up really fast. You know, he doesn't know. And he's like trying to be nice. Oh, I'm going to get wings. And he's like, okay, easy. Like Slow down. Calm down, you know. He hasn't paid his dues. Yeah, in, my, yeah. in what I think, at least. He took a bullet, though. No? That doesn't put you on the fast track in that thing of theirs? Can we talk about the Ginny Sack joke? It's just, I think about it all the time in life. Have you ever had a mole removed? Of any size. <laughs> of any size. That's not what I thought was going to come out of No, I haven't. What do you feel about the joke? Do you think it was inappropriate? Do you think it should have never happened? Or? No. I think it was just totally blown out of proportion. I mean, if you go back and listen to all the other jokes they've said before, it's not that crazy. You know, and they even brush right by it in the dinner. You know, obviously it's disrespectful, but when have they been that respectful telling jokes about each yeah, other? his wife. Next episode, <laughs> Tony says something about Silvio's wife right to his face. Yeah. And Silvio doesn't care. So Yeah, he didn't skip a beat to that comment. No, he didn't skip no. a beat. I really like how it starts to have this like bizarre trajectory just because of this little joke. Johnny Sack, to our knowledge so far, doesn't have a side piece, right? No. And Bobby doesn't have a side piece. He's the only one. Would this joke and this vehicle for the storyline that continues be timely now? You think they'd get more flack about body image and positive view of all of that? Not if they're old school. Yeah. I think the show now would be interesting to contrast with all this carefulness and safety and watch what you say and watch mm-hmm. what you do. I think the show would actually be aggressive at lambasting today's society. Yeah. Very much like the next episode does, which we'll talk about. It's not just the Italians and Christopher Columbus. There's all these different ethnic groups that they explore. I just mentioned, I was, I was just interested in, in Silvio being upset about Christopher because, in my opinion, as far as I'm concerned, he's the consigliere. And we've talked about this org chart thing, right? He's separate and aside from everything. He's insulated. He's protected. But uh, leaving that, cutting to Aiden Danielle, I know if I ever have a baby line... We know, this is a classic, we know more about the characters than the other characters in the show do. We know she obviously has a baby. She's playing it well. She mentions the OBGYN in the city for my sister. I know. Okay. Uh, Aid changes when she mentions a baby. Um, Is this uh, playing out the way that you would have expected it to? I don't know. I mean... Confiding on a dime like that? To some random stranger. But maybe because, I mean, when we meet... Danielle, Adriana's just basically unloading all these things to her, so I think she's not that, uh, she's a little loose-lipped. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think if you're having those feelings, you, anyone who will listen to you, you'll talk about how you want a baby and your concerns, and as she gets older, they become bigger and bigger. She tells Danielle she doesn't think she can have kids because of a past abortion. Again, character development in a single statement, right? A lot of backstory to that. Mm-hmm. Note the two eyes in the background looking at them as well, which is kind of an interesting notion. FBI, Big Brother, all that is happening in one scene. Overall, this scene establishes a closeness and connection, a real human connection that sometimes gets ripped to shreds in a fleeting moment. Very David Chase-esque, which we don't know yet, but you get a sense that this closeness is going to be short-lived. It's really emotionally abusive. It's yes. pretty weird. To us as the viewer, too. Yeah. yeah. It's such a weird tactic. We know what aid doesn't know, and that's always so powerful. Chris enters 
gives Polly Germani, little Polly, something to put in his freezer that will get rid of any odors. You guys know, I don't know what the heck they're talking about, but that looked, uh, that looked like drugs to me. <laughs> yeah. That smelled like yeah. drugs to me. Was that drugs, guys? Yeah. That was drugs. It was a little upper for Polly. I didn't get like the need to explain how to get rid of the smell. Like, was it a concern for dogs that were going to... You guys disagreed with me on an episode or two ago on this. You did, actually. I said that Christopher is a consummate hitman, leaving no trace. Christopher is a consummate made man. He knows that there's an outsider in the room. He has all these little stories to basically make it seem like everything's on the up and up. Everything's legitimate above board. This is just another example of that. Agree? Disagree? Yeah. Yeah, You also don't want to embarrass the person who's buying drugs off you or getting drugs. So he's going to say like, you know, Oh, good point. You know, that's not, I wouldn't be like, oh, Vic, here's your cocaine. Right. I'd be like, like, hey, yeah, put this in. Yeah, what are you talking about? I didn't ask for this. Because you never know how that person's going to say it. So he's kind of a gentleman to do it that way. He's a gentleman and he's protecting his ass. Mm -hmm. Two birds with one stone. Christopher Moltisanti. I'm a man of many mysteries. The sequence Carmela ain't going to be first lady forever. Line of coke. (laughs) Jump cut to the machine gun on TV. Again, People are having too much fun at our expense. But actually not at our expense because now we're having fun with it. Janice and Ralph are watching violence in Korea. More 9-11 aftermath references, right? Ralph hides when Tony comes. What the fuck's he afraid of? Why does he have to hide? He's fucking his sister. But so what? They're consenting adults. I I think they weren't expecting that to happen, even though I'm sure that they know that... Tony's going to have a thing to say, but it just all happened so fast that what are you going to do? He just had a reaction just to hide for now. It's the safe, it's a short-term band Yeah, it just was like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to go upstairs. This is an interesting little thing. No one's talked about this. It could be nothing. Probably is nothing. It's all a big nothing. When he rushes upstairs, the camera hard pans to a photo of Christ on the fireplace mantle. And there's more than just that. It's obscured by a Romanesque column. Mm. Very allegorical, Naya, because we know the story between the Romans and Christ's fate. Right? Yep. Mm, I see where you're going with this. But, But what is the connection to Ralph and Christ? The notion that one of the, the, the functions of Christ, right, is to forgive the sinner. Mm hmm. It also could be like that is Ralph is a hard and fast sinner cut to Christ, meaning it's okay, which is just sort of deep and weird. But I'm saying it because it shows that the camera makes a point to not just cut. It's a hard pan, freezes there in the Romanesque column. There's a lot there to unpack. Tony notices Ralph's shoe. How do you know it was Ralph's shoe? It was weird, but mad props to Tony for knowing his shoe fashion. The tassels. But yeah. tassels Ralph, the Ralph dress is preppier than the rest of them. Totally. No, he's distinctive. Yeah, distinctive. But he knew that he was with Roe. So it's just kind of, it's just, look, it's it's it saved a few steps for the economy of writing because it's a TV show. They can't have it developed that Tony figures it out. They just did it right then and there. But it's worth noting. I do love how he walks out. It's like he's got the... He's got some, like, disease on his fingertips. Is it Ralph's disease that he doesn't want to get? Or is it Janice's disease that he doesn't want to get? <laughs> Probably both. Yeah. I mean, he hated Richie. Yeah. And just think about how this is even lower to him. Is it? I think so. Like, really? Ralph Cifaretto. You know, Richie was, a, Richie was a captain. Is Ralph a captain at this point? Yeah. Okay. So they're equivalent. Well, Richie handled it so much differently. I mean, he answered the door in boxers yeah. and said, what's up, Tony? Yeah. Man's man. Yeah. You know what? You just subconsciously unearthed my reason for that question. Why did Ralphie hide where, as Richie, was like, I'm in my tidy whities bitch. What are you going to do about it? I'm making eggs. Come on Making eggs. You know? And then he sticks a fork in his face and he says, teach his own. That's true. We have seen this entire scene before. Thank you. Yeah. One call. faced it with confidence, and the other one faced it hiding behind a door, <laughs> listening, because it makes a point to show him listening to Tony yeah. talking about him. Very stark contrast between Richie and Ralphie. This could actually be the very moment, John, where David Chase and company are thinking, should have kept Richie. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good uh, way to... Uh, articulate that Tony still doesn't like Ralph that much, too. Yeah. And for him to get a little bit of a taste of that. Paulie's nephew visits him in the can. Debriefing. 
tells Polly about Ralph's joke, R.E. Jenny Sack. Poor guy, I actually don't think little Polly could have ever expected the consequence of passing along that information. What do you guys think? I agree. Yeah, I agree. But He's not is... doing it to stir up any pots like James Harden. No, I think he was just trying to tell like a joke to cheer Polly up who's sitting in the can and doesn't get to hear that gossip. But that's the smartest Polly move ever in the entire series is understanding the opportunity of hearing that joke. Yeah. Do you think he, it was an opportunity? Absolutely. Really? Okay. What is his MO at this point? What does he want to do? It was, it was his issue with Ralph because he doesn't like Ralph and Ralph said it. Ralph said that about oh. Johnny's wife. Now I can really stir the pot. Nothing to do with Tony. No, no. Why is he calling Johnny Sack in the first place and not Tony? To cause trouble. Got it. Yeah. I mean, he was looking to switch teams for a second, so. That's why I say, like, this is not to get to Tony? No, I think. Because Tony won't call, remember? He has to come through proxies and whatever. The only person that'll take his phone calls is Johnny Sack. But you're right. He really does hate Ralph because he didn't give him all that money for that thing. He's, he... I think of it this way. If Syl had made that joke and little Polly tells the joke, I don't think Syl would have been ammo then. You mean Polly? Polly wouldn't have, like, ratted Syl out. It's because it was Ralph. It's because it was Ralph. Okay. Um, Cut to the sign. We see the construction site. Newark, the other city by the bay, which to me screamed journey reference. (laughs) San Francisco is what journey's singing about. Fiber optic cable. High-speed internet access. Was Christopher's look enough to trigger the eventual boost? When, so, so let me rephrase the question because, Naya, you brought it up already. When Christopher gives his look, which is kind of like the look that I make every day when I wake <laughs> up, you know, and then at the end of the day before I go to bed, same look, is he sanctioning a boost or is he just basically saying, uh, you think Christopher's starting the wheels in motion? Is it like setting up an alley-oop? You just have a look to your player starting to nice. head towards the basket. Nice. And he didn't didn't mean to throw it up there, but... Is Christopher throwing a lob? He's throwing it up. Is he? He is throwing a lob. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, in this line of work, too, they talk about things, but they don't overtly say it. Yeah. Okay. Like, you, you can't. Yeah. You don't know who's listening. Right. Okay. Cut to therapy. By the way, I started therapy, you guys. How's it going? Is, it's been good. It's been about a month, and I'm going every week, and... This is the crack hour? This is not a crack hour... She is, um, she's an approximation of Dr. Melfi. Hmm. Hell so yeah. I'm happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> You're like looking for one. You're like, I've been um, looking for one. You need to be more Melfi. I, I will say this on, on record. I've been looking for a good therapist for pretty close to five years. Really? Yeah. I've been wanting to do therapy for, or try it, if nothing else, just to see if it's like an, a supplement to my life. And I got lucky. And uh, it's been positive. We'll, we'll, we'll That's see. That's awesome. Then. I'm excited yeah. for you. Yeah, I'm excited too. I feel good. Um, Jackie, no ketamines though, Naya. Yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, not I'm not there yet. Microdosing uh, the <laughs> the frog wart though, or the oh the toad <laughs> the toad. The toad. Um, so over the course of a child's life, there is constant moving away and coming back. Doctor Melfi says, so powerful. Security versus freedom. He was shot to death. Yeah, it's tragic, that kid. It was uh, some kind of drug deal, you said. Exactly, yeah, yeah. All the earmarks. Both of their faces, that's a great moment between them. She knows she's onto something. There's a ton of subtlety there, though. It's like they're having an ongoing game and behind-the-scenes scorecard. Who can drop this with the most subtlety and deafness? You know, she says something, he says something. They just keep playing off of each other. And he basically admitted that he sanctioned a hit on Jackie in that moment by saying all the earmarks. It's just my sort of sight read on that. He seems to enjoy towing that line with her. Like he wants to give her just enough to feel like she's Well, she knows from the pilot, right? There's certain things I can't say, you know. Okay, cut to Meadow laying in bed. The clock on her nightstand and the watch on her wrist show two different times. I'm just putting that on the table. That's interesting. Because I freeze-framed it because I'm in therapy for this, <laughs> among other many other reasons. She tells Carm she decided to take a year off. She's going to Europe with Misty. Fucking Misty, you guys. This Misty shirt came in heavy this episode. Moving in on Furio, number one. 
and then pulling Meadow from her nest. There needs to be more Misty. (laughs) I'm with you. She's cute. Cut to Tony at Artie's. Tony is trying to lament to the bartender, which I think we've all done and all continue to do. It's free therapy, right? You got to give a good tip, I guess. But depending on who your bartender is, Artie says, who am I? Bill Gates talking about Charmaine reference to Bill Gates, who was at his prime during this era. They're a bartender. Supposed to be listening to my problems. Chris boosted fiber optic cables. This pisses off Tony. We mentioned it earlier. He's drawing heat to a quarter billion job. Think, Christopher. This sets up a whole storyline for Christopher going on. Big fucking picture, which is ominous, to say the least. But what does Christopher do with all these little words and pearls of wisdom? He uses them. He does what Tony Tony does with Melfi's isms, right? So, nice setup. Cut to Ralphie playing one-on-one with Vito, telling him about Janice. You don't hoop with turtlenecks? Wardrobe alone is a product placement opportunity gone south. They could have had some jumpers on. Yeah, Leave it to, like, athletics and sports to be that perfect time to talk about that girl. Like, it yeah. was very cliche. Totally. Janice's hair. Oh, hey. It's pretty. Pre-Raphaelite, they call it. With the curls. Vito Spatafor with the esoteric art reference. Setting me up with a little Vic dance up and down the basketball court of art history. <laughs> Raphael is the artist that they're referring to. Pre-Raphaelite was a 19th century art movement. Members of this movement were against Raphael's style as an artist, which was more smooth and elegant, as opposed to free-flowing and sometimes disorderly, like a Janus. Okay? He was the... Uh... The Ninja Turtle with the red bandana? Yes, he yeah. was. My favorite, actually, which people will say, you like the Mine moody too. one. You like, he was yeah. a moody fuck. And I'm like, I am a moody fuck. <laughs> Hence the term pre-Raphaelite. They wanted to go back to the old free-flowing, disorderly style. One of the signature looks of pre-Raphaelite art was long, curly hair. Most recently, it saw a revival in artists like Florence Welch of mm. Florence and the Machine. And she has been characterized as displaying pre-Raphaelite style. Cut to Carmela telling Tony about Europe. Tony's line, all-time classic, one of my favorites. You know, I knew all this constant hopping on art was going to cause trouble. We could say that about you. This constant on art. This constant harping on art, right? There's so much art. There's so much art in the next episode, too. It's not going to end. Two overt references in one episode, though, to art. Cut to Everybody Loves Raymond on TV. Adriana's watching it. Significance, I wondered. I found that HBO was one of the production outfits involved with the show, Everybody Loves Raymond. So that could have been some shrewd product placement, making up for the missed basketball opportunity. Um, Aid home alone. Chris comes home, mad about Tony again. I owe this guy a lot, but he's a fucking jerk sometimes. He uses, saying it's his goodbye party with heroin, which had me wondering all kinds of thoughts about what coming off of a drug like that entails. You know, just interesting, like, if, you're, if you make a conscientious decision to eliminate something from your life, where does it start, and what does that journey look like? What do we learn from this encounter after he uses? We learn that he thinks Danielle is gay. Yeah. I never saw that coming. It makes sense, though, because he's, she's never with a guy. She's never going out with one of the guys, Adrian. Like, she doesn't have an—and most women in that age are all looking for a boyfriend— like, it's it's a little weird. She's not, she's just a little off. Cut to Chris reaming Patsy. So now you're a fucking mind reader now. Cut back to the family conference. Carm, Tony, Meadow. You think traipsing around Europe is safe these days? Another 9-11 reference. Tony fades her out. This is a cool effect. Okay, he's listening to them, but he's tuning out his wife and he's tuning out his daughter. This technique can be botched and should generally be used with caution as well, I think. But the use and timing here expanded the scope of the scene and moment. It was a step back three, three feet behind the line, but the shot drops. Um, I do it all the time and I actually had to catch myself. This is something that I brought up with my therapist. People will be talking and I will completely be someplace else because you don't want to deal with I don't want to deal I don't want to I don't want to go I don't want to think about the past and I don't want to worry about the future 
I want to be in the moment. Mm. And so when people are talking about speculative things or things that would trigger me thinking about past things that I can't change, I'll immediately just become like him. And that's why it's one of the reasons why the show is so powerful. It's actual moments that I live in my, in my regular life. Um, She's talking, Meadows talking about the restorative nature of travel. Read Henry James, which is an interesting reference, especially for this show, you guys, because his writings were famous for realism Hmm. and interpersonal relationships, botched interpersonal relationships too. Um, So I I wanna say one other thing too about this, but I'm obviously very much clearly thinking about psychology here. The restorative nature of travel and being outside in general is a very common tool used in psychology today. I wanted to call Dr. Justin, but I Googled and I found that there's something called directed attention fatigue and travel is said to be a mitigating factor for that. Interesting. It's supposed to be better for your health too. People that uh, vacation at least like one week out of the year live longer. You want to go, go, Tony says. Clear your head, run with the bulls. Great sequence. Have you guys run with the bulls? Yeah. Do you have? Both of you? Oh, not like literally. I was there in Pentagon. Oh, no, you no. You ran. I was, I, I, I was a chicken. I, I did not run, but I was there. I was literally in that arena. Um, <laughs> did and, you see anyone get gored? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, you I stayed. thought you meant metaphorically. I'll send you guys pictures. Cut to meadow in therapy. Take antidepressant, her therapist says, to tide you over. You're not paying for it. Interesting line. I you like her? I went Wendy to Cobra? therapy when I was a teenager, and it's like a really smart tactic for therapists for like like college angsty people to kind of pretend to be like you know aloof or like you're not paying for it like things that make that like Meadow in her age be like yeah you're right like just think it's like a tactic I think she's doing her job really well of how to like let Meadow let her in if that makes sense. Yeah, it felt like she was trying to be her girlfriend to get the juice. Mm -hmm. Digging for drama. So you guys are pro Dr. Wendy Kobler. She's not for me, but I think she's good at what she does. Okay. She's talking about waste management, wink, wink, and then she bends the nose. Again, I'm an outsider. What does that mean? What is the reference when you bend the nose? It's a stereotype, ethnic stereotype of Italian noses. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to know if there was like a history or like a the origin. Because mobsters got crazy noses and, and they're getting punched a lot, so they all have bent noses. I think is where boxers. it probably comes from. Okay. Mm. Um, it's interesting she knew that though. The Wendy Kobler question about molestation from either parent was kind of interesting. No. Meadows definitely internalizing something, and she's some version of depressed and i think the doctor is literally going down the check marks on but that was very progressive of her to ask if both genders yeah again the show show is way ahead of its time the doc encourages her to book on her parents dime kind of unexpected again but again it makes sense what you guys are saying she's trying to basically be Mm -hmm. her pal and there's some kind of commentary happening there though about how parents pay for all these tools to like have their child be successful but many of these tools are designed to completely screw the parent over yeah it's interesting but it's also dangerous i mean i think she's a good therapist but she also doesn't know meadow very well this is her first session and like encouraging her to go away when she might not be stable it might not be a good decision for meadow to go away so i thought it was a little careless to encourage her because what what would would uh, meadow of course it would be like yeah i want to get out of here but it could be you know safety stuff her health she's not happy she's depressed which is a little bold bold but you know i don't think she realizes that meadow's gonna go home and be like i'm out of here bye she said i could go cut to silvio and tony chris has a napoleon thing going on patsy feels bad feeling pushed over marginalized is the word so what's the problem it's just uh i don't know patsy feels bad maybe he was passed over So what the fuck do you care? Last year you were pushing me to take him out. Refresh my memory on that. He all but admitted that he knew uh, that his brother was killed. And he had a lot of drinking issues going on. Right. Remember he peed in Tony's pool? But Tony didn't know that. 
No, but the the crew knew that he needed to change his attitude. So they had a minute where they were like, let's whack this bum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I totally forgot. Um, cut to Aid at the club. Chris flirting with Danielle. Aid calls her Danny. Shout out Game of Thrones. <laughs> Chris moves on her. Uh, predictable? I think if he thinks she's a lesbian, he thinks that they could all do a thing. Again, Chris uses Tony's line. Use your head. When Adriana flips out. I like that. It's this transference from yeah. Melfi to Tony, and then from Tony to Christopher, and then from Christopher to Christopher's world. It's really cute. Very cool. Do you uh, think uh, Danny, I mean, she she rebuffs his flirt, yeah. right? But I, I thought for a second it was maybe an angle to get close. Like, she can be Aid's friend, she can be her best friend, but how do you get closer? She should. You, you, you can be the should've. lover of the third in a lover's tryst. But she would have had to, she would have had to, like... Adriana was not going to have that happen. Right. Let's be yeah. clear. But also, she's married and she has a kid. Like, she's... She wouldn't do that for her job. Or would yes, she? she would. I undercover, I think to. you, like, go... Undercover, you'd sleep with someone else? I think, yeah. I think the level of undercover. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cut to Sylvia unscrewing golf trophies. <laughs> Does that mean anything, John? John just played golf. We were talking about it. But what does unscrewing a golf trophy symbolize? There's a lot of scenes with him just fixing things. Fidgeting? Um, he's a handy guy. Okay. Silvio lets Patsy jack the tile. He says he has his back. This is the second heist from the job site after Tony had said no. He's siding with Patsy. Again, I think we have enough. We've beaten this to death. He feels sorry. And uh, Naya said it best. Christopher has mo- is moving too fast. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing, though, it's kind of a big deal in my opinion because he's not the boss, and he's directly disobeying Tony's order. Does he do this because he's not afraid of any retribution? He's, is he like Artie Bucco in this instance, that he's one of the guys that Tony's not going to do anything to? Sylvia. And are we learning that for the first time? He's testing the waters for sure. I think he's trying to see where the line is. It, it's bold, but strategic. And why now? And why this? Right. Would Tom Hagen do this? I think Silvio's pissed off about Chrissy, too, a little. But again, he's safe. He's insulated. He's the consigliere. There's nobody that can take his job. It's still annoying. Is it? I think it would be. Because it only benefits, yeah, I mean, financially it benefits you to have these young guns that are earners that are killing it. It's just going to make your wallet fatter at the end of the day. But there's something going on with Patsy we can't obviously get into it too much, but this could be the seeds of that power play mm. that one of the theories is, right? Patsy, Silvio. Cut to Danny at home. Reorganization at the Bureau could be good for us, husband says, Will Arnett. Aid is pissed at her, we learn. Four fucking months of work down the drain. Feel you there, hun. Plan B. The whole decision to bring her in straight up is kind of cool. It's very tense, very powerful, happens very fast. I love it. The show is like a slow beating drum, but then all of a sudden turns on a dime. This is a classic example of that. She gave Moltisanti a hard-on, which is Kubitoso, <laughs> which is <laughs> great line. Rest in peace. So what do we do? Hire only Skavutsis? I know that was weird. And then when he said he had a dream about her? Yeah. I thought that was peculiar. I didn't think it was weird. I mean... Really? I don't mean to go backwards, but I did have a note for go. the... Because you kind of brushed over the Tony and Janice showdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, it's really an un, unnoticed square off because he admits to her murder, like in the kitchen. Mm. Oh, uh, yes. The, yeah. And cool. then the back and forth and just she really gets to his whole core issue and mentioning her happiness is the core of his anger. She mentions him being his mother. Yeah. Yeah. It was just it was a really good brother-sister battle. Moment. That nobody would really be able to talk to Tony like that. No, thank you for saying it. Yeah, I, I d- didn't have a note there. I'm glad you did. Cut to Tony and Artie playing golf. Mazarone complains about getting jacked again. Okay. Cut back to Chris versus Patsy at the job site. This is a powerful scene. Who the fuck are you, Patsy says to a guy, an interloper, if you will, Ralph Bunch. Ralph Bunch is an African-American mediator who won a Nobel Prize and later the Presidential Medal of Freedom for his work on Israel, among other things. Great reference. Impressive Impressive Patsy reference, right? A learned, learned (laughs) fucking Patsy. But so sorry to the Ralph Bunch stand-in, but we get to, we learn about Patsy here. Yeah, that was 
a real high moment and then quickly followed by the lowest disgusting thing. Yeah. It's really interesting. Patsy's kind of taken form as a character here. He's not the silent little receipt counter guy. He's slowly evolving. And let's just put that on the table and we'll, come, we'll keep coming back to it. The rise of Patsy. Okay? Let, let this episode be, as far as Pata Bing is concerned, is the purported rise of Patsy Parisi. Cut to Meadow on the phone. I just can't decide if she's really just using Jackie as a scapegoat a little for where she is in her life because she doesn't have she doesn't know what she wants to do. Agree. That's what I think it is. She's taking it out on everyone. Yeah, I mean, she breaks down to Tony that she's tired of hiding the, the what the family really does, and One that's the, the best, core of it. The best showdowns ever. Yeah. You try me. It's the you try me dialogue. One of the great father-daughter encounters of the show, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's right up there. Tony hesitates before coming in again, though. This is the third hesitation, Naya. Three. Yeah. Deep sigh. He does this earlier in the episode and then again in the middle. Pivotal role of the work ethic in this family, Meadow says. Is what Tony does work? What is work? Is kind of like the overarching question. Like she's she's criticizing the work ethic in his family, but I think at what as far as he's concerned, he's a pretty hard worker. The ethic of the work, maybe. There you yeah. go. Double loaded statement. Tony, one shoe on, one shoe off, which is an observation that I had here. There's symbolism there. For me, one foot in, one foot out. Pilot episode. I came in at the at the end. This thing is all falling apart. He is jealous of Christopher. Christopher wants to go sell screenplays. I had, think I haven't had offers. <laughs> if Tony was Christopher's age, there's an argument to be made that Christopher, that he would get, he would find a way out. So the one shoe on, one shoe off thing was, a, was an interesting thought, especially in this sequence between him and his daughter. Her wall, you guys, has a poster on it that says Picasso and portraiture, another overt art reference. Again, you have a song called Face. I do. There's a mask on her cabinet. More symbolism to me. She's tired of covering up and doing the Soprano Dog and Pony show. I've never seen that mask in Meadow's room before. Mm. Mm. Mr. Mob Boss, she says. Tony tells Carm to shut up. She took it. Are you surprised that she took it? Or does she know in that moment she didn't stand to gain? Because it was this topic. It's, yeah. This is business. This is serious. This is the, the code. And I don't think Carmela's that been out of shape by it. I think... She just wants to dead this. He gets in Meadow's face. Like, you could talk honestly for three fucking seconds. Three. Like, you could talk honestly for three fucking seconds. You tried me. Also, this was an opportunity for Meadow and the audience to hear answers to her questions about him and his life. Would he have spoken honestly? We'll no, never know. I don't think so. You don't think so? Mm-mm. You think he would have created some fabricated thing? Of course. And that's where then she ultimately blames Carmela, which is like, that sucks. About most. his work. About everything. About the mafia. Everything. Crime. Any thoughts on why she didn't go there? She had an opportunity where he said, you try me. Why didn't she say, okay, dad, what about this? Where's Brendan? Where's pussy? She had that fear in her eyes like everybody else does when Tony gets to that level and she knew better. It was Would he have hit her? I don't know, but like it's the the fear of, it's the threat of that is scarier than the actual She even knows there's a line you don't cross and that's the line asking yeah. about where the bodies are buried. Maybe, but I also think like she already knows. Everyone it's all everyone knows what's going on. There's no reason to ask, you know? Like if what's he, what's it going to solve? If he was going to be straight up with anybody, would he be straight up with her about where the bodies are buried, literally? No. No? Not even with her? I don't think she... No, he wouldn't want her to be involved by accessory. Yeah. I agree. I feel really bad for Carmela, though, the most. (laughs) Carmela really... Why? Because she ultimately blames Carmela for bringing her into this world, and, like, Carmela should have known better, and that's where... Not to have babies with him. Yeah, or just, like, you know, how could you do this? And that's why Carmela's so miserable at the end, because she knows it is all her fault in some regards. Wow. Okay, so this powerful scene, I'm getting the fuck out of here. He's saying, don't you do it. Cut to fucking Cosette. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just a palate cleanser. <laughs> Thank you. Aid gets busted. 
I like the whiteboard in the background. Nice little dissection of the family. If you freeze frame it, you can see everybody who who everybody is. Um, the vomit, On of the course. bracelet. The bracelet, her, yeah. yes. Any reactions, comments there? Well, they linger on the bracelet in the botched threesome attempt, mm-hmm. and then she looks at it again, uh, sort of a, a symbol of the price that she has to pay now. Totally. Like, all these nice things have brought her to vomiting on the FBI's table. Yeah. Cut to Silvio and Tony. In Tony's house, this is a rare scene when Silvio and Tony are together talking business. Kind of a reminder back to a few seasons ago with the uh, basement and the lamp and all that stuff. It kind of made you, makes you think about that. Chrissy usurped you is what Tony says. So we get that question asked of Tony that we're all thinking, why does Silvio care so much about Chrissy? I still think that the consigliere protects him. Silvio says that's not how it is. And then he gives him a taste from the heist. The line that's powerful which is kind of a really brilliant way to reestablish that Tony's the man, even though Silvio made a little boss move in this episode. The line... I know you will. Powerful moment. Rare that Sil comes to the house. I want to put that on the table. That makes sense then why Carmela says, oh, hi, Sil, because he isn't there all the time. I always wondered, like, why'd she come down? Silvio asks, is this a hanging offense or a fine? Again, he's sort of like... He's trying to figure out where where can this end with us as well? Like, how, yeah. what are the boundaries of our relationship? It was a unique moment. It was an appropriate moment for him to ask that question because usually the guy just got to talk. I count on you to be the most level-headed guy I got, yeah. right? But this was a moment where he could kind of let down his veneer a little bit and say like, hey, like, can I, can I do this with you again? Yeah. Like, and, and I, I kind of like that. And I like that happened in the basement. Um, okay, Janice reading The Origin of Satan, which is a controversial book. And David Remnick, who's the editor-in-chief of The New Yorker, wrote a really lengthy piece about this book back in 1995. If anybody is interested, Google The Devil Problem, New Yorker, and you'll find it. Meadows College Counselor, my next—oh, this is a fun thing. So Meadows College Counselor in the episode is actually my next-door neighbor. Did you recognize him? I recognized him. From this one scene? From this scene, yeah. But it's cool, though, right? Yeah. Small world. Small fucking world. What class does Meadow find that she likes? It's your lucky day, he says. Morality, self, and society, which is a perfect capstone to this episode, you guys. Yeah, it really is. Finally, the last scene, Tony's ready to talk to Cousin Brian about estate planning, he says. They're in the bathroom. Carmela's in the bathtub. Tony's by the sink. Radiohead's Kid A starts to play. A nod to Meadow. Being the first kid, maybe, I don't know, but Radiohead's first time and only time on the show. The pullback, wide frame, the two of them, the first thing that came to my mind was very pre-Raphaelite. Thank you, John. Thank you, Naya. Thank you, Vic. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 